13 tonight. I'll read verses number 13 uh, through verse uh, number 18 tonight. And uh, we'll preach to these verses, God being our helper, and try to give you what I feel like the Lord has placed upon our heart tonight. Matthew chapter number 16 and verse number 13. The Bible says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith to them, But whom say ye uh, that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. This is my text tonight. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you for this opportunity. We had to be back in church on this Wednesday evening. I thank you all for the safety and the provision that you've given us uh, to be here tonight. Thank you for the good singing by the choir and the congregation, Lord, the good spirit of worship. Lord, bless this scripture tonight, and Lord, use it, uh, bless this sermon. Use it for thy glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I want to preach for a few minutes tonight uh, out of these verses. I really want to preach out of verse number 18. Uh, but when you think about Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 uh, through 18, there's four things I want us to note. First of all, in verse number 13, we find there is a controversy. The Bible says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? We note in this verse two things. We note the place. The Bible said that he came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi was 25 miles from the religious communities of Galilee. But the city's religious practices were vastly different from those in the Jewish town. This was a very pagan place. This was a very wicked place there in the land of Israel. In Old Testament times, this area was popular and publicized uh, for Baal worship. It became the center uh, for Baal worship. And then we noticed only the place of this controversy, but we noticed the proposition of this controversy. Notice what your verse says. He asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, you don't, hey, Jesus did not have to ask a question tonight. Uh, to get information. Uh, he knows everything, isn't that right? And so when Jesus asks a question, it is not for the purpose of information, but rather for the purpose of inspiration. He is leading up to something. The reason he is asking this question, he has a point that he is trying to get to. He has a purpose uh, that he is trying to get to. And so we note the controversy in verse 13. But then we notice in verse number 14, the comparisons. He said, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they begin to make some comparisons unto whom Jesus was like. Note them with me, please. First of all, uh, they compared him to John the Baptist. And I believe he was like John the Baptist in his preaching.
preaching? What was John the Baptist preaching? Well, here's what John preached. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you know in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus started preaching, you know what sermon Jesus preached? He preached the same sermon uh, that John preached. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I, I, I like to listen to podcasts and some I listen to some crime junkie podcasts and stuff like that. But then I will listen to some religious uh, podcasts as well, some sports, stuff like that. And I was listening to a, uh, a religious podcast yesterday uh, and, and really uh, it was supposed to be an independent fundamental uh, Baptist podcast that wasn't Higher Grounds podcast. So don't, that way you won't be worrying. It was actually called the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. Some independent Fundamental Baptist Podcast. Something like that. And, and, and really I got mad listening to the fellow because uh, he said that expositional preaching, preaching verse by verse, causes men to be heretics. Preaching, I said, so you're telling me preaching verse by verse, literally how it's written, how it was given makes men heretics. Preaching verse by verse don't make a man a heretic. Not rightly dividing the scriptures will make a man a heretic. Uh, but that, that's not what I'm talking about. I just got mad about that. I also got mad because he downplayed repentance and said, well, you uh, you can't tell a man uh, to repent because he can't remember how much does he have to repent of. When you get saved, you don't repent of sin one, sin two, sin three, four, five, you can't remember all your sins. You can't remember everything you've ever done wrong. You don't repent of what you've done. You repent of what you are. And what you are is guilty, a sinner before God. And so unfortunately that man is incorrect in his doctrine. And because Jesus said, not just John, John preached it and it's right, uh, but Jesus backed up John's preaching and said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand. He'll even go on to say in Luke 13, 5, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Amen. And what is repentance, preacher? I'm not trying to preach on the doctrine of repentance, but let me just hit it while I'm going. Uh, repentance is you turning from your life of sin, turning from being a sinner, and turning to Jesus Christ. I was going that direction, uh, but now I'm going that direction. Amen. And I like what Brother Billy Mitchell said, once I started repenting, I've been repenting ever since. Amen. And so he's like John the Baptist in his preaching. Uh, but then they compared him to Elias. That word Elias is the New Testament spelling for the prophet Elijah. And when I thought about Elijah, Jesus was like Elijah in his power. What is Elijah known for? He's known for the miracles. He's known for, for causing the, of the drought in the land. He's known for raining fire out of heaven. He's known for raising that boy from the dead. He is known for the provisions of God. God used him. And so when they looked at Jesus, they said he preaches like John the Baptist and he has power like Elijah uh, but then they compared him to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the New Testament spelling uh, for Jeremiah in our Bible. And, and what is Jeremiah? Well, he is the weeping prophet. And I believe he's like Jeremiah in his passion. Now don't misunderstand me. Uh, Jeremiah was not a wimp. He was not a sissy. In fact, he was God's iron man. You read Jeremiah chapter 1. Uh, he had a backbone and he stood for truth. Uh, but Jeremiah also had a tender heart. Uh, one preacher told me years ago uh, when I was much younger, he 
said, son, if you're going to make it in the ministry, you've got to have two things, a tough hide and a tender heart. And I believe that's the truth, amen. And Jesus uh, was tough, he was strong, he stood, he had boldness, uh, but he was tender enough uh, that the little children wanted to come to him. And he said, suffer the little children to come to me, and forbid them not, for of such is uh, the kingdom of heaven. And so he's like John in his preaching, and he's like Elijah in his power, and he's like Jeremiah in his passion. But then they said, or one of the, or one of the prophets, and I wrote down, he's like one of the prophets in his peculiarity. What I mean by that is those prophets, they were different. They had a different calling on their life. Uh, they had a different touch on their life. And certainly there's never been a man like Jesus Christ. Uh, never, but never a man spake like this man, the people said. Never a man done the things that he did. Uh, nobody ever lived like Jesus. Nobody ever walked like Jesus. Nobody ever talked like Jesus. Nobody ever died like Jesus. Nobody ever got up like Jesus did. Nobody ever left like Jesus. Nobody ever was coming back like Jesus. There ain't nobody like him tonight. Amen. So there's a controversy in this text. There is a comparison in this text. But then notice, please, the confirmation in this text. Verses 15, 16, and 17. Notice the asking in verse 15. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? He said, I really don't care what everybody else thinks. What do you think? What do you think about it? I mean, you've been walking with me. Oh, you've been traveling with me. You've heard me preach. You've heard me teach. What do you uh, think about me, Brother Charles? Amen. What do you think about me? And so there is the asking in this text. But then I want you to notice the answer in verse number 16. Oh, Simon Peter, he stuck his foot in his mouth a lot. He had foot and mouth disease. Ain't it amazing? That's a size 11 shoe, and I can get that stuck in my mouth with no problem. Ain't that amazing? And Peter had that same problem. And so we asked him, oh, whom ye say that I am. And Peter got it right. He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That little phrase, Thou art the Christ, that here's what Peter was saying by the tone. He said, You're the Messiah. Oh, you're the one we've been looking for. And then that little phrase, the Son of the living God, that speaks of His majesty. He said, You're not just some man, oh, but you're the God man. Oh, you're the Son of God. I don't know if Peter understood all that. I don't know if Peter comprehended all that. Oh, but Peter got it right. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. Amen. But then notice, notice in this text the affirmation in verse 17. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou of Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now this verse often gets overlooked, but there is a strong doctrine in verse number 17. He tells Peter, Flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you that I am the Son of God, but my Father which is in heaven. In other words, the flesh will not produce spiritual knowledge. The flesh will not produce spirituality. He said, but my Father which is in heaven revealed this unto you. Here's what Paul said. Paul said that he revealed his Son in me. He revealed himself. And aren't you glad for the day when the Spirit of God came by where you was at? And he said, that's Jesus. That's the Messiah. That's the way. That's the truth. That's the life. That's the resurrection. That's the Lamb of God. That's the Good Shepherd. Oh, that's the way to get to heaven. God revealed that to you. You didn't figure that out on your own. The Spirit of God revealed that to you. Ain't that wonderful? So in this text, there's a controversy. There's comparison. There's a confirmation. But I'm interested tonight... In verse number 18, there's a church. Watch what he says in verse 18. He said, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, 
And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want to preach on that little phrase tonight. To, from, use it from a subject. I want to preach on, I will build my church. I will build my church. Now, I want to remind you tonight, that's not Josh Montgomery saying that. That's not Brother Richie or Brother Caden or Brother Tony or Brother Eric saying that. Jesus said, that's in red. He said, I will build my church. And I don't know about you tonight, but I want to get involved in God's building program. I want to be involved in what God's involved in. I want to be a part of what God's a part in. Look at verse number 18. There's six things I want to say out of this verse tonight, and I'm going to eat me some strawberry waffles. Hallelujah. Amen. First of all, what is this? I will build my church. Well, number one, this is a stable work. Look at your text, verse number 18. I love preaching these verses phrase by phrase, verse by verse, and I'm not a heretic for it. Amen. Watch verse 18. It is a stable work. And I say unto thee, also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock. There's two things in this phrase. First of all, in this stable work, there is a recognition. Look at this. Look at the first part of the verse. And I say also unto thee, watch these four words, that thou art Peter. Now, the church is not built on Peter like the Catholic church teaches. But rather, it is based and built on the statement that Peter made Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you look up Peter's name in a Greek dictionary, it is pronounced Petros, which means a small rock or stone. And may I, may I say this tonight? If the church is going to go forward for God's glory, then we've got to realize that church ain't built on us. Church is not about us. It is not about us being pleased. It is not about us being happy. Uh, it is the Lord's church, amen. It is not built on Peter, but it's not built on Josh. It's not built on Brother Caden. It's not built on you tonight. It is built on Jesus Christ. Everything that man does fails. You look at it. Everything that man does, he may do well for a while, but he'll fail. A man can build a big business, but that business can go bankrupt. A man can build a, a nice vehicle or, or build a nice house, but that house can have leaks. Everything that man does is not infallible. It fails. Thus, if the church was built on Simon Peter tonight, think about this, then the church would be built on a man that denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Not once, not twice, but three times. The church, if the church was built on Simon Peter, the church would also be built on a racist. Acts chapter 10, Peter said, I ain't going to go to the Jews or Gentiles. I'm a Jew. I ain't never ate those meat. If the church is built on Peter, then it'll be built on a man that Paul had to publicly withstand over his racism. How does that fit in the Catholic Church's gun? Somebody help me. So the church is not built. There's a recognition. But then there is a rock in this text. He said, and upon this rock, I believe that Jesus did this. That, remember this? Peter's name means Petros. But this word rock in the Greek is Petra, meaning a rock or a large stone, a man-like rock, by reason of his firmness and strength of his soul. Here's what I believe Jesus did. I believe Jesus said, Thou art Peter, and upon on this rock, I will build my church. Amen. Aren't you glad tonight the church is not built on somebody who denies Jesus Christ, for he is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's not built on a man that's a racist. But he said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Aren't you glad it's built on Jesus, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So this is a stable work. 
But then notice on in the text, I say unto thee, art Peter, and upon uh, thou art Peter, and upon this rock. Not only is it a stable work, this is a sovereign work. I. Did you get that? Lord help, he's preaching on one letter. I. It is a sovereign work. He is not the great I was, but he is the great I am. Now let me say this about this, this sovereign work. We have a responsibility to work. Even though this is the Lord's work and it is marvelous in our eyes, as the psalmist said, we shall have a responsibility to labor. Here's what Jesus told these same disciples in Acts 1.8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the world. Even though the Lord is going to build His church for the rich, we still have responsibility. Somebody said, Preacher, what kind of responsibility do I have? Twofold, tracts and your testimony. You ought to pass out tracts and you ought to try to give your testimony when you have an opportunity. We put, Brother Charles reminded me of oh, all the Timothy Conference stuff. We had tables cleared out, and I put out some more tracks tonight, and I'll put out some more uh, if we run out, amen. Everybody ought, to, everybody ought to try to pass it. I'm not talking about ten tracks today. We've done that before. I'm not criticizing things, but my goodness, I try to get one out every couple days. And when God really, you can't give it to the wrong person. Uh, don't stick them on the gas station things because uh, they get fined for stuff like that. Try to put it in somebody's hand. Try to physically have some contact with somebody. Uh, you ain't got to uh, give them a big dissertation on the doctrine of repentance and the doctrine of faith. I just say, I want to give you something to read when you have a moment. And don't lie, and I've, I'm a sticker for this. Don't try to deceive them. Tell them what it is. It's a gospel track from our church and it contains the word of God. And when you have time, I'd like for you to read it. You witness with tracks, but then you witness by giving your testimony. Amen. You ought to try to tell somebody what Jesus done for you. You ain't got to tell them everything you ever did. It would not be wise to tell them everything you ever did. You as a sinner, doesn't matter if you as a drunk or a church member your whole life you are still a sinner lost and on your way to hell oh, but Jesus reached further down than you could reach up and he saved you by his amazing grace we have a responsibility to work but then we have to number two we have to rest in his word at the end of the day brother Caden you can pass out a hundred tracks at the end of the day you can give your testimony a hundred times but you know what you have to do you have to rest that God's going to give the increase that church at Corinth, they had trouble with it. I got saved under Paul. Well, I got saved under Peter. And you got the real spiritual people. Well, I got saved under Jesus, you know. And then so it's amazing those people are still in the church today. But here's what, here's what Paul said. I had planted, Apollos watered, but who gave the increase? But God gave the increase. You know what we have to do in this sovereign work? We have to do our responsibility to give out tracts and give our testimony. But then at the end of the day, we have to say, God... I've done my best. I, I know I failed. And by the way, it doesn't matter who you talk to about the Lord. It doesn't matter how well you go through the gospel. When you get home, you'll always think, did I do it right? Did I say the right thing? Did I explain it all? Can I let you know, every preacher who will be honest, when he gets home at night and gets done preaching, he puts his Bible on his desk and lays down, he wonders, did I say that right? Was I clear? Miss Sherry the other night went out the door. She said, Preacher, you don't have to apologize when you preach hard. I said, Miss Sherry, I wasn't apologizing. I said, I just want to make sure I'm clear and I'm understood. That's a battle in a preacher's mind. And you'll be honest, when you try to witness somebody, you battle that in your mind. Did I say the right thing? Did I, did I give the right verse? Oh, I could have gave that. I'm telling you, you give that gospel and you give the verse that God puts on your heart. I think God's big enough to bring the verses to your mind and to your heart that that sinner needs to hear, amen. And you just rest in his word, amen. Hope that encourages it tonight. This is a stable work. I say unto thee also, thou art Peter, 
And upon this rock, this is a sovereign work. I, this is a sure work. I will build. This is a sure work. Notice two things. Notice the confidence. I will. The confidence is not placed on a man. The Bible said confidence in a unfaithful man is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. We cannot, in fact, we are warned not to put confidence in the flesh. So we can't put confidence in ourselves. But we have confidence that Jesus will. There's the confidence, but then there's the construction. I will build. I don't know anything about building. I don't know anything about construction. I know how to swing a hammer. I know how to drive things in without a hammer. Shoes, screwdrivers, wrenches, you know, rocks. I mean, whatever you have to, you know, get it in the wall. So I don't know anything about here. I do know this about construction. You've got to have a plan. You've got to have a plan. You've got to have something laid out. And may I remind you tonight that the Lord has a plan for building His church. And it's in the Word of God. It's exalting Jesus Christ and preaching the Word of God. This is a sure work. Notice, I, I'm hurrying. I'm at number four. This is a special work. I will build my. Amen. I'm not going to preach through every word in the verse. Some of y'all can take a breath. But I couldn't skip over that word my. That little word my is an important verse. We know he's saying I will build my church. What does that word my mean? It means two things. It denotes a purchased possession. Let's say you go out and buy a vehicle. And you have the money and you found the, the vehicle you're wanting to purchase. And you go and you pay the price for that car. You know, you know what you can say? You can say, that's my car. You know why you can say that? Because you paid the price for it. You bought it. You paid what the sticker said. And a whole lot more. But it's yours. Because you paid the price. You know what Jesus said? I will build my church. Acts 20, 28. You know how he paid for the church? He purchased it with his own blood. Aren't you glad Jesus paid it all? At Calvary and all to him I owe. It denotes a purchased possession. But in this word my, it describes a public passion. The little word my has a deeper meaning than you bought something, but it declares a public passion. Here's what I mean. Thank God, Grace Montgomery is my wife. This means that we have pledged our love to one another, and we desire to spend our lives together if she don't kill me first. The only reason she's not killed me is I've not re-upped my life insurance yet to finish paying for the house. But when that, when that happens, if I die, Brother Tony, do an investigation. You look out for me, okay? Because at the funeral, she's going to have her bags and her sunglasses. They're going to be heading to Disney World, all right? Uh, but anyway, uh, she's not in here, so I can say that. But uh, she is my wife. I have no trouble. You know, it'd be awful to be married to somebody that's ashamed of you. Uh, we had Pastor and Mrs. Rowell come to the come to the Timothons Friday night, and my wife had never met them. And so when Pastor and Mrs. Rowell came in, I went and got my wife, and I I said, "This is my wife." I wanted them to know that she belonged to me, and that I belonged to her. You know what Jesus said? I will build my church. He said, "I want them to know that I belong to them." And they belong to me. How about you? I'm glad to be identified with Jesus. Amen. In fact, in my marriage, I wear this wedding ring. This is my papa's uh, 40th anniversary ring that my grandma gave on their 40th anniversary. I got it uh, back in the spring. My grandma gave it to me. Uh, but I wear this uh, to identify that my heart belongs to someone and that I belong to someone. Amen. And you know what? We ought to let the world know that we belong to someone and that someone is Jesus Christ. This is a stable work. 
This is a sure work. This is a sovereign work. This is a special work. Number five, this is a separate work. I will build my, look at this next word, church. If you look up the word church, you know this. It is the Greek word ekklesia. And it means a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, an assembly. Here's what I mean by that separate work. The church, number one, it ought to be different. The church ought to be different from everywhere you go. Can I get amen out of that? We're living in a day where churches are doing their best to make the world want to come to church. Now, I want, the, I want sinners to come to the church. I want sinners in the church, Brother Richie, but I don't want the world in the church. You know there's a difference? Man, you can have sinners in the church all day long. They ain't going to hurt you. But you let the world come into the church, it'll contaminate the church. Hey, there ain't a sinner in Rowan County that ain't welcome in this church. Amen. But we ain't going to let the world in the church. We're supposed to be different. One old-time preacher said, the church is called to be salt and light, not sugar and lasers. Amen. I thought that's pretty good. That's why I wrote it down and highlighted in green on my outline so I wouldn't miss it to share it with you. Here's what the world's done, though. They, took, they want to appeal. They want the, excuse me, the, these churches have done. They want to appeal to the world. And so they take everything out of church that makes it look like church and bring in everything in the world that looks like the world. That's why they paint the ceilings black. That's why they bring in, as Brother Langston says, the psychedelic lights, amen, and uh, they make you want to have a seizure. And, and why, that's why uh, they, they remove the pulpit and they, and they make it look like a, sta- uh, uh, a stage instead of a platform, a pulpit, amen, to, per- to perform from. Why do they do that? Because they're trying to appease the world. You ever notice most of them people in the contemporary groups can't sing? Have absolutely no talent whatsoever. I mean, my goodness. What is this? It's a performance. It's not even a good one. I told my wife the other day, I said, my goodness, if I was going to listen to that trash, I'd listen to some good bad music. I mean, people that actually have a little talent, amen. Don't look at me like that, amen. Some of y'all pull out your beach boys, amen. I mean, I feel God more on the beach boys than I do some of my contemporary stuff I hear, amen. <laughs> Surfing USA, come on, all right, Amen. Oh, come on, don't look at me like... I'd rather hear the Beach Boys sing Christmas music than hear the Enlightened Christmas channel, all right? But we don't bring that into... We're being humorous tonight, but... You know, they bring the world in, and... I was reading this afternoon, in October of 2016, a pastor in Las Vegas during a sermon received a tattoo on stage while giving his sermon. While he's preaching his sermon, they're giving him a tattoo. What is he doing? He's trying to appeal to the world. If you have tattoos here tonight, I'm not preaching down at you, but if you're saved and living for God, you ought not get any more. Amen? You can't help what you've done in the past, but you can help what you do in the future. Amen? But it, it, there's, there's, something, there's something wrong with a preacher endorsing that. What is he doing? He's trying to bring the world in. We ought to be different. We ought, the church should only be different. It should be distinct. What I mean by this, when people come to church, they ought to expect to look like a church. They ought to expect to sound like a church. In some of these places, they ought to smell like a church. Amen. I'll tell you, traveling, you know what bothers me is going to churches that look like dumps. Amen. They smell like a dump. I mean, they got, they got Christmas decorations from 1975 stacked up against the wall that they ain't used since 1975. We got a policy around here at Safe Harbor. If we don't touch it in one year's time, we throw it away. Or we give it away. Amen. Or we put it on another church's front porch in the middle of the night so they can have it. Amen. No, I ain't done that. All right. <laughs> 
I, I can't stand clutter. I can't stand hoarding. I can't stand all that stuff. That up there behind them two doors drives me nuts. Unless you've been up there, you know what I'm talking about. I threw some things away the other day uh, that... I ain't told nobody about yet, but uh, we ain't touched it in seven years, amen? So uh, obviously we don't need it. But you know what? A church ought to look like a church, ought to smell like a church, ought to be clean. The yard ought to look good, amen? But even beyond that, it ought to, amen, it ought to have pews or chairs that look like a church. It ought to have a pulpit, a pulpit of wood, amen? That's what Nehemiah preached from in Nehemiah chapter number 8, amen? It ought to have lights in the building. It ought to be distinct. When I go to a ball field, a baseball field, you know what I expect? I expect to see home plate. I expect to see first, second, and third base. I expect to see a bullpen. I expect to see a dugout. I expect to see two baseball teams of 25 men on either side. And I expect to see the Braves win. All right? That's what I expect when I go there. So when I go to a church, what I expect? I expect to hear hymns that glorify Jesus Christ. I expect to hear spiritual songs that lift up the Lord. I expect to see people rejoicing and worshiping God. I expect for a man to open up a King James Bible and preach what thus saith the Lord. Amen? It ought to be separate. And then last of all, and I'm done, the church should be a stable work. It is a, the church is a stable work. It is a sovereign work, a sure work, a special work, a separated work. And last of all, this is a successful work. Watch the last clause. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's two things in this verse. I got, man, I got two minutes, but I got about, seven minutes, about five minutes of preaching. Let me finish this. There is opposition in this text, the gates of hell. Now, I'm not throwing off on any preacher tonight, okay? Practically, we could say that hell itself is in the heart of the earth will not prevail against the church. Amen? But that's not what Jesus is talking about in the context of this. The context of this verse, he is talking about an actual location. Now, you remember what the Bible said? They come into the coast of a place called Caesarea Philippi. What was this place? What did it represent? It represented two things. It, was, it represented repulsive conduct. Caesarea Philippi stood in a lush area at the foot of Mount Hermon. And it was a city that was dominated by immoral and pagan worship. To the pagan mind, the cave of Caesarea Philippi was a gate to the underworld where the fertility gods lived. And here's what they said during the, during the winter. And they committed detestable acts in their worship of these false gods. Caesarea Philippi's location was especially unique because it stood at the base of a cliff where, water, where there was a spring of water that flowed. At one time, the water ran directly from the mouth of the cave to the bottom of the cliff. These pagans would worship the false god Pan, P-A-N. The temple of Pan had been built there a few hundred years before Christ's ministry. People came there to worship. What they would do when they came there to worship, Brother Matthew, they would bring infant children as a sacrifice. They would throw those infant children to the water that flowed from the rock on the side of the cliff. If the baby went under the water and disappeared, that meant that Pan, their false god, had accepted their sacrifice. If the child were dashed apart under the water and its blood flowed into the river below, then Pan had rejected their sacrifice. Either way, the infant child's life was over. To the pagan mind, the cave and the spring of water created a gate to the underworld. Literally, they called it the gates of hell. There at this place, they would go each year. And I'm in a mixed company, there's children, so I won't give all the details. But they would commit gross acts of immorality with both with humans and with goats. 
It was a place of repulsive conduct. But it was also a place of religious compromise. For book, in the book of 2 Kings chapter number 12, this is where Jeroboam built those two golden calves and commanded that Israel worship those golden calves. It was literally known in that area as the gates of hell. That's the opposition. When Jesus brought those disciples there, he took them to the red light district, the worst place in town, the place that Christians don't belong, the place that kind people don't go. The most, you think about the most wicked place in the world, times that by a thousand, and that's what Caesarea Philippi was. Can you imagine those disciples standing around seeing all the wickedness and debauchery, knowing what that place is, knowing their mom and daddy taught them, you don't never go to Caesarea Philippi, don't you ever go up into those gates of hell. And Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the very wickedness, the worst of the worst of the world, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There is opposition, but there is an overcoming. Amen. And I want to remind you tonight, we're living in a day of repulsive conduct in this world. It's some dark days. It's some wicked days. I'm talking about things that we don't even want to verbalize that is going on in this world. Repulsive conduct. And we're living in a day of religious compromise where they brought in the false gods and the false idols and the worship in the flesh. But Jesus gave us this promise that upon this rock I will build my church and it don't matter how wicked the world gets and it don't matter how wicked a religion gets I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it the worst and the wicked of the world will not prevail against the church so I said well the church has failed I want to I want to say something tonight the true church have individual churches failed yes sure They've not preached the gospel. I would agree with that. But as you know, we believe in the universal church, the body of Christ, and we believe in the local church. Local churches make up the universal church. Y'all still with me? I'm just about done. Local churches have failed, Brother Eric. But that body of Christ, the church as a whole has never failed. And she won't fail. She'll, why? Because Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're not on the losing end tonight. We're on the winning side. So in closing tonight, before we pray, if, if this church is a stable work, a sovereign work, a sure work, a special work, a separated work, don't you like all those things tonight? Then in closing, I want to be identified with the church. I want to be involved with the church. And I want to invest in the church. Now, investing just doesn't mean money, even though money's a part of it. But I want to give my time to it. I want to give my prayers to it. I want to give my, my passion. I want to be a witness, be a testimony. Jesus said, I will build my church.